What's going on, everybody? Peter Toring here. And Chris Van Bell. This is the uh, Holmes Great Lakes Real Estate Podcast, talking about all sorts of real estate issues here in Southeast Michigan. We have with us the fantastic Don Symington, who is an excellent lender. Don, thanks for being with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, and Don is with Mortgage One over in Shelby Township. I guess it's Shelby Township, right? That's right. Hayes and 59. Yeah. And so what we wanted to talk about today, we wanted to go into a kind of the economic climate and how that affects mortgages. We want to talk about how this is going to affect you as a potential buyer, uh, and kind of assuage some of the fears of, are we going to have 2008? <laughs> going deep today, huh? Yeah. So uh, the first thing, let's talk about what, what caused 2008. Let's talk about the mortgage crisis. What was the kind of the environment leading up to this? Well, goodness, I think a lot of us know it, right? There is a loss of jobs. We, we know that from our family members losing jobs. At one point, Peter, there were 5,000 people a day moving out of the state of Michigan looking for jobs elsewhere. The mortgage side of things, what was happening was we were securitizing our mortgage or bundling them together and then reselling them on the stock market floor. What was happening was we kept bundling these mortgages together and we put in some junk loans with these AAA rated paper. So a AAA rated paper, somebody with a 740, 760 plus credit score, 20% down payment, and these babies never default. I mean, they never default. There's something, you want your investments in AAA rated paper. So other countries would buy them up. Abu Dhabi had billions and do- uh, millions and trillions of dollars of mortgage-backed securities in the US and other countries as well. Well, these mortgages started defaulting. And these investors were like, what is going on in the United States? Why is this happening? It's, it was unbelievable. Well, years later, an investigations found that they were putting in a little bit of time. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac were putting in these BC papers, 600, 580 credit scores, 620 credit scores, this, this, these mortgages that were subprime in this AAA rated paper and just kind of hiding them in there. And you mentioned before the show here that these these BC loans, they were having like a one in eight default rate or something like that? Yeah, so... It's a massive default rate. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting in that credit scoring is what is a probability of default? So what is the statistical probability that I'm going to default on my loan? And if you have a 580 credit score, you have a one in eight probability of default. One in eight. So for every eight loans that I write with a 580 score, one is going to default. Versus if your score is 801, 801, there's a one in 1,292 probability that your loan's going to default. So essentially they were packing in fantastic loans with garbage loans and, and selling off to investors. And of course we had, like you said, the auto market... The, the auto industry collapsed, the loss of jobs. Uh, you know, you and subprimes. Had, Don't forget about the subprime yeah, mortgages. Tell how us about, about those? That. Yeah, how the subprime market loans affect that as well? Yeah, subprime is really interesting because at one point, Peter and Chris, we were writing loans with a person that would foreclose on a property or bankrupt. I'll give you an example of bankruptcy. Person bankrupts, they report Chapter 7, they go to court after their after their bankruptcy is discharged the next day with a 580 credit score they could buy a home with zero down so people that had no business buying homes are being good night right so of course also that and the, the housing market just being at an absolute peak and just then the bottom falling out well things were getting crazy even over here i mean you had people doing like the refi and they were getting crazy refis you'd have 
hundred eighty thousand dollar homes, you know, they they'd appraise for like three hundred grand. So before we we now go through into the into the what got us to to where we are now, uh, and, and some of the restrictions and everything. How does this? How does the lending climate compare now? Because I know that we are lending down to five eighty. We we have a lot of these low down payment uh, options for first time home buyers. I know that there's another uh, Michigan Savings Plan that was just approved by the House. There's a lot of different things going on for first time home buyers that are, you know, either low down payment or low credit score. How, how does that climate, you know, compare to what we had pre crash? Okay, okay. If you don't mind, I like to just give you a feel for what happened during crash and what the mortgage environment was like after the 580 scores yeah. with zero down. So when the mortgage meltdown happened, everyone pulled back all their lending. BC loans were completely washed up. And so what was left was a lot of government loans FHA, your VA, your rural development, and conventional paper. So on the convention, so FHA continued to loan at three and a half percent down payment, but they would not lend to anyone if you had under a six hundred and forty credit score. Then number two, conventional financing. What's been what's interesting is an appraisal, an appraiser has to mark on his report whether the house is declining, the market's declining in value, stable in value, or appreciating in value. And so in the market meltdown, appraisers notated that it was a declining market trend so you the fear was you'd buy your home at one hundred and eighty thousand dollars and then two months later it might be worth 170 that was the fear so fannie mae didn't want to be on the hook for that so instead of allowing you to put five percent down you had to put minimally of ten percent down so we're at 2010 2011 2012 and you have to put a down payment of ten percent down so excluding a lot of home buyers especially a lot of first-time buyers people that are now renting instead of buying homes yep. yeah and pummeled pmi insurance you just got hammered if your score is under 700 conventional financing so moving from that what what do you think pulled us out of this you know obviously we're in a, a fantastic market era now we've got low interest rates we've got all these programs was it the the implementation of some of these government programs dodd frank treads with other things that were really tightened the belt on the, the lending was it the economic climate is it kind of a mixture of everything one of the frustrating things that that the government did, which actually I think helped us a lot, was develop what's called HVCC, Home Value Code of Conduct, where they pulled back the reins on appraising and they said, okay, if you're going to do an appraisal, you have to they have to be selected from a random pool of appraisers. They have to be licensed, insured, carry you know, insurance, and you cannot select either as the borrower or as the lender who the appraiser is going to be. So it has to be an unbiased, randomly selected appraisal report. That really did help quite a bit. It, it built confidence. Um, I think for a while, these appraisers will, were appraising very, very conservatively, almost too conservatively. Um, would you, would you agree still, with that? I think that? that's still going on now. Oh, big which time. We mm-hmm. can talk about in a minute how I think that part, that's partially a good thing. Mm-hmm. But um, see now, do you think that it's become a detriment because this, this random appraiser, if we can talk about this for a minute. Sure. Um, when you have specialty properties, when you have rural properties, waterfronts, things like that, having a randomly selected appraiser when there's really no standard for, you know, yes, I know there's a standard of you get X amount for X amount of, you know, waterfront frontage, but we all know not all waterfront, you know, properties are created equal, not all rural properties oh, are created God, equal. Yeah. How does that, you know, frame out with, with the, the random appraisers? Yeah, that's a great question. So let me give you an example of something that happened about this summer. It was late this summer. So I had a client that was selling a home on Lake Fenton. So they were, um, they were selling their house and they... There was no comparables on Lake Fenton. So I had the buyer 
had come to me was pre-approved with me and they bought my this client's house and so I went to the underwriter and I said there's no comparables on Lake Fenton what can be done and they said you can go outside of the market area you can even go to the you can even go to a county next door you can even go to uh, a town surrounding as long as it's lakefront to lakefront and it's and it's a similar market area so I took that information and put that in the notes of the for the appraiser and the appraiser was able to go across county lines across city but with what across the towns without that information being provided they because they were coming back with no comps right so they've so they've changed the guidelines a little bit to to adjust for some of these special well, things. Look at the lakeshore we have over by us and how it can differ from Algonac all the way to the point. Yeah, oh, it's, it, it's insane. And I've seen appraisers use. Well, it's different from like, community to community. It's it, in Lottie View, in, you know, in, in Lottie View. You, you know, Lottie View. I've had somebody try to use the shores to compare Lottie View yeah, homes, and it's, it's just it's, wow. That's yeah. insane. Um, wow. But so in this too, we you know, we have had, like I said, significant government restrictions, but. And, and have these things been overall, Dodd Frank? I know that they they make your life significantly more difficult. Number one, do they have an impact on your average buyer? And number two, is it helping us or hurting us? Is it bringing us closer to or farther from uh, you know another two thousand eight like scenario? Well, trade is a is another interesting. Te- most don't understand what that means or what that is, but what it does is it it has the mortgage. It provides some sort of accountability for yourself as a mortgage lender, as a mortgage banker, in which you need to disclose a beginning of a closing disclosure, a minimum of four days before closing. The problem is, whenever there's opportunity, and we're in, and and we're our mental minds and who we are as as human beings in the United States and being entrepreneurs. Everyone will always do a workaround. Right. So, oh, yeah, it's like phenomenal. So if I if if I'm told that my closing costs have to be accurate, but yet I can be disaccurate on homeowners insurance, taxes, condo association dues, um, real estate compliance fees, tax prorations. I don't even have to mention. That's five opportunities that I can understate those things and not have, uh, not have an accountability, not not have accountability measures mm-hmm. in place and so i can be accurate on my closing costs but if i'm off on these five things you your client could end up needing to bring three to four thousand dollars more clo- more to the closing table than they originally expected so it's so it's creating a, an atmosphere where yes the clients do the, the buyers because trade was for those of you who don't know trade was created essentially so that you're not signing your you know you're not seeing your amortization schedule for the first time at the closing table you're not seeing your your interest rate you know your final interest rate for the first time at the closing table right this was the this was to protect against that so now instead it's creating yes you will see this previously but you may not get accurate numbers of what you actually have to bring to the closing table on time right but that depends on having a great, a great lender or yeah. not I, we've seen <clears throat> some of the lenders try to push these things through and they're like like Dawn saying, way off on insurance or, or, or way way off on the areas where they can be off. Right. As long as they're within their margins on your on your lender stuff. That's a great point, Chris. Like think about this. If you're closing if you if your contract says you're closing on the fifth of January and the under the lender just takes one day of interest, well that they're saying that they're clo- you guys are closing on the thirtieth, but they don't have any responsibility to disclose that properly they're just trying to compete for the business against someone else that might be fully disclosing everything appropriately right so it's just another another point of make sure that you're 
going through a good local lender. This is why we discourage the use, the big banks. We discourage the use of, I call them the mortgage mills that we're not going to mention by name. Uh, you know, the places that you can tap three buttons on your phone and get a mortgage. Uh, you know, there's there's a, a myriad of reasons not to use those. But Feel this free is, to ask us for stories in person, though. Uh, yeah, this, this is just another reason not to do that. Uh, you know, if you talk, if you call Dawn, she's going to give you an accurate accounting of what you're actually going to be bringing to the closing table. Uh, so now, we, here we are in 2017. Mm-hmm. I've been preaching for months that I think that we're at the top of the market. The numbers keep proving me wrong, and we the housing market still keeps going up, and the inventory still keeps going this down. This little birdie's been telling you that too. I love being proven wrong on stuff like this, Chris. I really do. Uh, but what we are seeing is, like I said, with FHAs being dropped down again, with these the myriad of first-time home buyer programs, uh, with the you know the the massive amount of student loans that people are bringing. How do you think that this is going? To, where do, where are we going from here? In our in our housing, not only our, our housing climate, but in, in the obviously we have a good economic climate right now. But where do you see loans going? Do you see us going back to these you know relaxing these regulations again? Yeah, yeah, I see guidelines loosening up every other month. I'm curious to see what new program is coming out. What reintroduction to a previous program is being reintroduced uh, government aid money as far as mist is concerned we can talk more about that mm-hmm. um and then di- guidelines changing going from 10 percent down on the mortgage meltdown to five percent to three percent down and then there's being reintroductions of zero down loan programs and then there's subprime companies coming back on the scene again which is your loans that are offered two and three year fixed rates and then it becomes an adjustable rate after that and with high high adjustment periods and and whatnot which and i saw penalties. that because of the gdp this quarter that we're looking at another interest rate hike uh, increase correct oh it's been up and down like crazy lately if you watch it daily some days it's up just a tick some days it goes back down yeah and so with with this where do we see this going as far as we know that we have, and I, I know that there's some keep, things keeping us from the brink, and we'll talk about that in a second, but can we expect another round of regulation, you know, belt tightening regulation, so to speak? No, I don't think to, so. Okay. I think it's going to go the other way. I think there's less regulations and more loosening of guidelines, trying to let the economy uh, operate on a, on a more of a free market economy is really something that I think we're going towards more and more. And I, I generally like to think, if, if you guys have listened to me at all, you know that I'm generally against government regulation, if at all possible. But is there, and I, I know we've talked about the possibility of there being another 2008. So if it doesn't come from the, the regulations that we had in 9, 10, 11, is it going to come from the other factors? And I, this is where I want to bring up, number one, we've battled appraisers. Appraisers seem to be keeping us down uh, and, and keeping us away from hyperinflating prices. Uh, and then to the the lack of first time home buyers going you know beyond what they can afford. Well, con- conversely, with the appraisers um, and, and our what we consider not a good appraisal, low appraisal, whatever, um, we're finding more people bringing money to the table because they see the value in that home. And now I, I've seen ten, twenty thousand dollars being brought to the table because somebody sees the value in that home, whether the appraiser thinks so or not. And that's where I think we get into trouble. I think we get into trouble when we start hyperinflating markets, when we start to come in and saying, okay, and, and also we were talking about this before the show as well. We have we have two things. We have a dichotomy in our market here in Macomb County, um, and we have a difference in the way appraisers view properties and the way clients view properties or, yeah. or buyers view properties. Yep. Buyers are increasingly uh, emphasizing 
updates, updates, Quality. updates, updates. Quality. Updates. Right? Exactly. Yeah, that's that's a huge one. They want to see the granite. They want to see the wood floors. Yeah. New furnace. New, right. new roof. Yeah. New windows. But they want they, those amenities. Exactly. But what they don't want is we're not seeing these. They're not coming out and saying, I need a 25, 27, 2900 square foot house right out of the gate. So what the appraisers are doing is the appraisers are putting a, a real focus on price per square foot. They want to you know, have the value of the actual house. And, and the buyers aren't seeing it that way. Which, on the flip side, where it may cause you a low appraisal in areas like Royal Oak or Ferndale, somewhere else that updates are very important, it's causing higher appraisals than I think market value is on the big houses. Sure. So, and, and this is where we get into, and we've talked about this if you listen to our market reports about the dichotomy between the 250000 and under and the, like the three hundred and above. Uh, and I think part of it is because millennials are, are and people my age are going well, towards look at how big areas. Look big of a part of the market houses. the millennials are right now. Mm-hmm. And their wants and needs are controlling yeah, a lot like of what's 28, going on. Twenty-eight percent of home buyers, or something like that. I'm just pulling that out of my head. I, I think that's what I read. Um, but they're buying under their their means in the vast majority of cases, and they're not buying these huge houses. A lot of them are coming in conventional. Yeah. So, do you think that this is going to help us stay away from that edge again? Yeah, I really appreciate the millennials and their education levels and in their. Um choosing to live under their means i think where they're not recognizing realizing is the student loans and how that's going to impact them in the years to come because they haven't been making payments on student loans and they don't expect to for two sometimes up to two three years after um the point that they're going to own a home at the same time yeah i think it's really going to help that they're 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 very particular on their financing and they're very smart on their choices for um, financing under their means. And now, do you think that if we have a, a just a uh, a rash of student loan defaults, that that will throw us back into and just wreak havoc in the the mortgages as well? Or do you think that they can the two the one can happen without the other? Yeah, I think the one can happen without the other, mainly because. That's a great question, Peter. I don't know. That's a really great question because what happened when the mortgage meltdown happened? If you couldn't find a job and you were 20, 21, 22 years old, you got your degree as a bachelor, you got your bachelor's degree, and these kids, they could not find jobs. So mm-hmm. what did they do? They just hunkered down and went for their master's. Some of them kept going for their doctorates. And so you have an influx of very, very educated individuals coming out of school with very, very, very little low income, very little jobs, but lots of student loan debt. Right, which is of course leading to you know the the we're at the highest rental rate we've ever been, which I think we're battling against for a lot of reasons. Um, Peter, it, it, the other thing is it's really interesting to see someone with a hundred to hundred. It's not it's not outrageous to see. And I see a lot a hundred to one hundred fifty thousand dollars in student loan debt. I see Yikes. that a lot. And then coupled with a mortgage, let's say it's a $180,000 loan, they technically have $300,000 worth of payments. And usually right. student loans, they want them repaid within 10 years. Yeah, you have That's a, a hefty without, payment. Without a house. You know what? I really want to talk about this about first-time buyers. Don, thanks. We're going to – guys, stay tuned for us in the next podcast from Don here. Thanks so much for being with us. Cool. Guys, we're going to see you next time. Thank you.